Welcome to the Series 6 Exam Prep, podcast lessons for the FINRA Series 6 Exam. This podcast is to assist you in preparing for the FINRA Series 6 Exam. Well, what is the FINRA Series 6 Exam? The FINRA Series 6 Exam is an exam for those who wish to sell investment company products. It's much different from the Series 7 exam, which is the General Securities Representative exam. Typically, this is an entry-level exam that allows you to sell basically mutual funds and investment company products, and as such, is a much easier exam to pass than the Series 7 exam. Now, concurrent with taking this exam, you must also pass the Securities Industries Essentials exam. In reality, you should take the Securities Industries Essentials exam before you take the Series 6 exam. It will help prepare you for the exam. This podcast is going to give you sample portions of the lessons contained in the full bundle of audio lessons for the Series 6 exam prep, audio lessons for the FINRA Series 6 exam. This is an audio course of 8 hours and 44 minutes in length, and there are 20 individual lessons in the full bundle of audio lessons. The full bundle of audio lessons is available at Series 6, and that's the number 6, Lessons.com. Again, www.series6lessons.com. If you like the samples that you're hearing here, and if you would like to try four full-length audio lessons, you can go to the website and sign up to receive the four full sample lessons to help determine if you think these audio lessons would be valuable for you. All right, enough of an introduction. Let's get on to this sample lesson. This is a sample of lesson number 15, Registration and Disclosure. The full audio lesson is 25 minutes and 38 seconds. Welcome to this lesson about the FINRA Series 6 exam. This is Unit 4, Part 1. We'll be talking about regulatory fundamentals and business development. So let's go ahead and get started. I will give you the content, and then at the end I'll give you a a chance to go back and review what you've learned. Then you can test yourself to make sure that you're still doing well. And if so, you can move on, and if not, just review what you've already learned. So let's go ahead and get started. So stock that's sold under a private placement is not registered with the SEC. And so it's considered restricted. So the the private placements are to those accredited investors, where the ones that they have a lot of money and a lot of experience. That makes them different than the rank and file of investors. Investors will have to hold it for a certain period of time before selling it, though, if it is one of these restricted stocks. If the sale is less than 5,000 shares and $50,000, it cannot be sold with reporting. A transaction that is small is not big enough to really interest regulators. Under $50,000, less than 5,000 shares. That's small potatoes for them. When helping people buy and sell securities, you need to do your due diligence, however, to make sure that they're not trying to get around restrictions by dealing in restricted stock. 
these restricted stocks can be sold without restriction, however, to institutional investors, such as banks, insurance companies, etc. So it's, a, it's kosher to go ahead to sell to institutional investors. These sorts of buyers will have over $100 million in store. So they've got so much in reserve that it's not restricted to sell to them. Registration and disclosure are supposed to help protect investors. Whether something is protected by the SEC, people can still face civil liabilities if they mislead or misrepresent pertinent facts about investments. So no matter what, you can face penalties for lying or misrepresenting something. And so even if it's something that's not regulated by the SEC, like the things we just talked about, Uh, You can still face civil liabilities. They can still be sued by other parties for damages through civil courts. And you also have to prove that you were deceived and that you could not have known better through your diligent efforts. So if somebody says, oh, they they deceived me about this, you have to then prove, say, well, there wasn't really any way for me to figure that out. If I had dug a little deeper, I still wouldn't have figured that out. And so then you can sue them for damages through civil court. So just because it's not regulated doesn't mean that you should try to mislead or misrepresent in that case. The Security and Exchange Act of 1934 broadened the scope of the Act of 1933, just a year before. It included anti-fraud provisions that apply to any person and any security. It means that anyone who lies or omits the truth, you're just trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes in any way, when trying to buy or sell securities will be subject to legal action. So this is more of a blanket statement. Anybody who defrauds somebody buying or selling securities can get in trouble with the law. This act officially created the SEC as the ultimate regulatory authority. Other regulatory Institutions such as FINRA, NASDAQ, and CBOE have to register with the SEC. So they're all under that same umbrella that was created in 1934. While all of these SROs or self-regulatory organizations want to change a rule, it also has to be sanctioned by the SEC. So they can't do anything that the SEC does not want them to do. So that's important to remember. These organizations can exercise statutory disqualification, which means they can deny firms entry into their organization if they feel they are not well qualified enough. So they are sort of gatekeepers. Somebody applies, then they can scrutinize that particular organization. And if they feel, oh, no, they're, they don't meet the standards. They're not up to snuff. Then they can, they are well within their rights to simply say, we're sorry, but you can't join. You, you're not financially secure enough or something like that. Another piece of legislation you should know about is called the Maloney Act. And it made it, um, it made it so that national securities organizations have to register with the SEC. NASD was actually required to do so under this act. So if there were another organization like the NASD, then they would have to register themselves as well. But at this point, that's the only one in existence. The Howey decision was a landmark Supreme Court case that determined that investment contracts are considered securities. These are an investment of money in in a common enterprise with the expectation of profits and derived through the efforts of 
others. So this is an important Supreme Court case that set this legal precedent that investment contracts are considered securities. If something is not a security, such as, say, a fixed annuity, a whole-term life insurance policy, or common commodities futures contracts, they are not subject to anti-fraud statutes. So these anti-fraud statutes from the 1934 law cover all types of securities. So if something is not considered a security, such as the things I just mentioned, then the anti-fraud statutes do not apply. A variable annuity, however, is still a security, but a fixed annuity is not, because it's basically an insurance contract that's backed by the company's general account. So that fixed annuity, is there's not really any degree of risk there, so it's not really a security. But a variable annuity is, because that its value can increase and decrease, unlike a fixed annuity. So a, if you talk about a broker... A broker is a middleman who charges a commission in order to help you buy or sell a security. They don't have any inventory. They're just the person in the middle that is facilitating everything. A dealer is directly involved who wants to sell you some of his own stock or to buy some other person's stock. So that's the difference between a broker and a dealer. So the dealer is directly involved. The broker is just a middleman. You also have to disclose whether you are a broker or a dealer in a transaction. So are you just the the go-between or are you directly involved? The broker is the go-between, the dealer is directly involved. Firms can act either as a broker or a dealer and often function in a variety of capacities depending on the kind of transaction and who their customers are. Large companies have to register their offerings on a form called the S-1. Investment companies fill out a much more... Thank you again for listening to this sample portion of the full lesson. If you found this lesson valuable, please go to the website, series6lessons.com, and that series, the number 6, lessons.com. At the website, you will find a link to purchase the full series of audio lessons if you found this to be valuable to you. Also at the website, you can sign up to get four full-length sample lessons. Best of luck in your studies. 